Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. Uh, today, I, I try, I'm trying something different today. My guest's name is Adam Stanecki. He's a, he's been a personal trainer for many, many years. He opened up the third CrossFit affiliate in Australia. He is a a committed business coach. He's working with CrossFit gym owners and personal trainers to help them um, fill their gyms. In fact, his website is fillyourgym.com. I think it's .au. That that'll be in the show notes. Um, and he's an all around. He's just a guy who's committed to experimenting with his life and learning how to best negotiate life in in this world that we're all in together. Um, he is very self aware and 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 very humble. Um, he shares in the podcast we we really meander the experiment I tried today was um, starting the podcast without really having much of an idea of who Adam is in the world. I knew that he was a CrossFit coach. I knew that he owned a gym, Um, but I purposely didn't do any research on him. I didn't go to his websites. Um, I did not ask anyone about him. I didn't write up a whole bunch of interview questions. I wanted to have the perspective of, one of you of I'm having a conversation without any previous knowledge. And I wanted to give the, I wanted to allow the conversation to meander the way it was going to meander and move the way it was going to move without any preconceived notions of what I wanted him to talk about. And, um, I must say that it was, it was very fun and very, uh, well, a couple of times I was nervous, um, about, you know, what's, what am I going to do next? And what I found was almost instantly as I was having that nervousness, um, well, the nervousness continued as long as I thought about what was coming next. As soon as I let go of what's coming next and I pulled myself back into the conversation, into the moment with Adam, the, the nervousness completely went away. It was like this anxiety that completely left once I was present again, which, uh-huh, duh, um, <laughs> be in the moment. Right. Um, and, um, we talked about guitar playing. We talked about surfing. We talked about kids and raising kids. We talked about iPhone apps. We talked about the nature of time and reality. We talked about s- spirituality and religion and why we're all here, what we're all here to do on earth. We got a little, um, philosophical. Um, we talked about training and workouts and, um, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an amazingly rich conversation. Um, and it was very fun to, I, I, I hung up the phone with him and I told him right before I hung up that I felt like I had literally just hung out with him in person. It was very, um, connected and, um, you know, almost like we were in the same room having a cup of coffee and yet we're 6,000 miles apart on a Skype phone call. So, um, enjoy the conversation. 
And um, um, yep, here's Adam Stanecki. So Adam Stanecki, wait, is that how you say your last name? Perfect. We'll take oh, it. I won't awesome. Give, I won't, give, I won't, I, I won't even restart because I got it right in the first guess. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So uh, just so everyone knows, I'm talking to Adam. Uh, he is uh, in the Southern Hemisphere and it is tomorrow there. So um, it's, it's tomorrow today. It's tomorrow today. I'm, I'm four o'clock and you are 9 a.m. That is correct. So uh, that, that's pretty cool. Uh, have, I've yet to, like I was telling you before the podcast, I've yet to speak with anybody on the podcast in the, um, in the future. You are in the future. So yeah, we could get, we could get quantum physics straight away. Like just jump straight into it and start talking about the relativity of time and all of that kind of stuff. That'd be freaky. You know, what was weird is when I was in the Marines, we, um, I took a ship, um, across to the Persian Gulf and on the way back, we crossed the international dateline and it was very weird. Um, moving that slowly in across the the dateline we also crossed the equator which is a whole nother experience you you do something called becoming a shellback from being a, a wog it's a naval tradition and it's quite a crazy day but crossing the dateline slowly was was very strange too because you you uh i can't remember if you lost a day we went it was obviously one direction we lost a day and the other direction we repeated the day so it's very Such strange yeah this thing. I, I read something crazy online about time and it, I've got this thing in my head about you know, but time being this construct that man created to try and understand what's going on and it, it not really existing but yet it being the biggest stress in our lives. So anytime I come across anything that's rel- related to time, I get, I get pretty interested by it. And I read recently that when, uh, when the United States bought Alaska off Russia, um, there were, they changed the time zone in Alaska so it's the only country that's ever had a Friday following a Friday. I thought that was the weirdest. The, wait, say, they changed the time zone so they, yeah. so the entire state repeated the, a day. Yeah, the entire state had Friday twice. Huh? Huh? Crazy. That was in like that was in 1948. Is that right? I, I, I couldn't tell you the date. You're closer to it than I am. It, it was right after. I think it was after World War II. Well, I actually, I don't know. We had 48 states. Anyway, uh, it was on the internet, so it has to be correct. It must be correct. It, exactly. Everything on the online is, is correct. At yeah. least that's what my I, eighty that's what my eighty two year old mom says. Hi mom, I hope you're listening. Uh, <laughs> 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 we we had to teach her uh, what Snopes is because she loves to pass on uh, interesting articles that she reads. So ah. um, it's quite entertaining sometimes. It's it's a rabbit hole. It is totally. So I'm going to do the podcast a little differently today. Um, uh, I was telling you before the podcast, the normally I, I go in, I, I well, first of all, norm, a lot of times I know the person personally before I come into the podcast. Um, in your case, not only do I not know you, I don't know anything about you other than what I, I follow you on Instagram. I, I see your quotes you post. Um, you've been highly recommended by a few people. Uh, Becca Borowski is, is our content editor and she speaks incredibly highly of you. I decided intentionally not to do any homework um, for this because I wanted to find out what it was like to be a listener in while I was talking to you. Like I, I you know, because our listeners typically don't know anything um, in advance about who's on the show. Like these are these names are all not household names for the most part. So um, there, there you have. It. Adam, why, why are you here? <laughs> 
why are we talking? Really why are we talking? <laughs> why are we talking? It was in my calendar, so therefore I had to do it. No, me too. <laughs> I have this. I have this feeling, Andy, that I'm in a situation that was similar to. I think it was. Geez, when would it have been? 2007, where I came to LA to train at your gym, and you weren't actually there. <laughs> this is like our first kind of passing. But you did tell the trainer that I was coming and that I owned a CrossFit box in Australia. So what happened was I turned up to a beginner's class uh-huh. and whoever the coach was doubled all of the numbers. It was a, it was a chipper. Awesome. Awesome. Doubled, doubled all of the numbers. So welcome to LA. That is awesome. So, yeah. I, I feel like I need to be prepared for the unexpected again. Oh God. So I hope you didn't cram for this test because this is, this is, no, I, no. I just sprung, I just sprung one on you. Like there's you no test. Cram- when you don't know what's on the test. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about your your journey in the world of health, uh, fitness, and I mean, you obviously are inspiring and moving people to move in the direction of a healthy lifestyle. I mean, I can your your Instagram posts are very inspiring and motivational. Um, what? Um, how did you get into this world? And um, yeah, give me a give me a little bit of a background. It's an interesting question. I have a history of falling into things, and I think it's 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 about going with the flow for me. Like I, you know, when I left school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I ended up doing IT because I was pretty good at computing, and I liked the analytical thinking and you know programming and doing all that kind of stuff. And but I didn't find that fulfilling. So I had been doing martial arts all my life. Ended up coaching as a martial arts instructor, and went, "Hang on a minute, there's something here. Like I like this." teaching thing, but I still couldn't work out what that was all about. Um, gave up IT completely, became a personal trainer as you do, because everyone's becoming a personal trainer, at least, you know, like 10 years ago, and, and still today everyone's a personal trainer. Well, there's so because many like, qualifications required to be a personal trainer. Uh, you know, I mean, it takes years and years of study, and, and then ex- how many exams did you have to take? Well, not that many because when I started it, there really wasn't anyone there to teach you. In Australia, there were it wasn't as developed as you would see in the states. I, I was kidding. I was totally kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there. But, I mean, uh, most recently, most places you can do it in forty eight hours. You can get your certification. I, I know. I know you're poking the bear. I get it. Yeah. But, <laughs> okay. Um, good. Because you took I that. Remember, you took that very seriously. I'm like, God. There's there aren't uh, any real, you know, like hardcore. I mean, there are hardcore certifications, but you yes. don't. Re- they're not required. Correct. So yeah, that, uh, I would have I would have gotten there eventually. I'm I'm being verbose when I could be concise. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I, I ended up doing a course that was by correspondence, and I mean it was when I used to send videotapes in the mail for my assessments. Like that's wow. when I did it. Yep. And and then a lot of the courses in Australia, and it was a really good course. I enjoyed it. But before I'd done that, I'd already done like uh, university level anatomy and physiology for another course I'd done because I studied massage Chinese medicine that's funny I, I did the same thing i i'd studied massage to to i mean really i wasn't really intending to get into the fitness <laughs> business but it, it worked out that way and the massage therapy background was a huge um uh help in knowing the body knowing the landmarks knowing the muscle the mus- musculoskeletal system it was amazing Indeed. yeah i would have been in trouble like honestly the, the just the level of understanding of physiology wasn't there and i, don't, I still don't think it is there i mean a lot of the courses that we're probably talking about the same kind of courses with these certifications is great biomechanical detail, but it's 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 gross level. It's not really understanding 
you know, let's say medical level anatomy and physiology, which yep. is so helpful and just gets gleaned over. So to, to answer your, you know, to answer the original question, my journey sort of became, I, I'm turning into a teacher. What do I need to understand more to be a good teacher? And, and it became that I really need to understand myself a lot more because yep. I didn't feel that I was being authentic enough as a teacher if I didn't truly understand what was going on. It's one thing to be physically fit and physically capable and teach people how to do a squat and a, a burpee, God forbid, because I hate <laughs> those things. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you, you can teach people by doing, but but understanding where people are coming from and what they want out of life and, and like that bigger picture, my journey's I guess my attempt to answer the bigger question, and I think everyone's question is, you know, like, why are we here or, or some variation on that theme. Uh, and I, I don't know if there's an answer, but I think the journey's a really interesting one. So that, that's the journey that I'm on. And as I learn more as a, as a person in a, in a piece of the universal puzzle, I just try and help other people understand it as well. Now, did you spend much time as a massage therapist? I mean, was that part of your um, occupation in the in the first part of your fitness career? Uh, I did it separate to moving into personal training, um, and I did the course. I was working as a professional IT dude, uh, so I, it took me like four years to do a part-time course. Huh. So I did a lot of a lot of prac hours, um, a lot of clinic hours, and then I probably practiced as a massage therapist for two two and a half years. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I just didn't, when I got there, I didn't find it as fulfilling as I thought I would. Um, maybe what I needed to do was the full Chinese medicine degree and right. it would have had a, been able to attack things with the bigger picture. Was, uh, you know, from what I understand, uh, I mean, New Zealand and Australia tend to lead the way in the, in the physio world. Um, I was a big, uh, Czech, uh, Paul Czech. I, I studied a bunch with Paul Czech and, most of the early adopters to his program were New Zealand and Australians. Um, is that because I mean, it's, it sounds like you, actually, you guys might actually be quite a bit ahead of us in terms of, of adopting, um, being on the cutting edge of new stuff. I just wondered what your experience is with that. Like if, if you compare kind of what you see there with what we do here. It's an interesting question. Um, I think the, the thought leaders that you see from any country, the, the, the guys and girls that are at the top of the pile, their understanding and their ability to teach people and, and treat people, I think that's the same everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I see a distinction. I think if you look at, if you look at the you know, North America versus Australia and New Zealand, it's, it's mostly just terminology. I mean, I know some really good physical therapists, um, rehabilitation specialists, here in Australia, I know of some in New Zealand, but I mean, the same can be said for reputations in the States. I, I don't know if there would be such a clear difference. I think what, what you might be seeing is because we're so far removed from like the continental, you know, continental America, that if someone comes to Australia from whether it's from America or from Europe, um, we, we kind of latch onto them and we go and learn as much as we can because otherwise we have to jump on a plane and go and find them. Right, right. You know, if Paul Check comes over here. You know, if someone like Barati or Poliquin or any of these you guys jump, come, you over, jump in full, full blast. People jump in, right? And it's not everyone. I mean, the fitness industry in here is not going to be so different to the states. It's just that the states are so much bigger, right? Uh, so, 
you know, proportionally, they're still going to be the same amount of turkeys who are doing what they think they're doing is right, you know, doing the things that they think are right. And there's only going to be a small percentage that are really on their game that are interested in consistent improvement, quality of service, and outcomes for their clients. Uh, I don't think that's. I don't think that could be untrue. Right. Right. So you, um, so you you carried on as a massage therapist for a couple of years while you were getting out of the IT business, and then you yeah. jumped in as a personal trainer, and that brought you up to opening a CrossFit box, or am I missing something? No, that's that's pretty much how it flowed. I, in the background, I've been a martial artist since I was probably seven or eight, on and off. Um, oh. And a friend who I was doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with said, "You need to go and have a look at this CrossFit thing." And I'll be honest, like I got, I went to CrossFit.com. I had a look at the posts, and I, I was just like, I, I don't get it. Like I don't, yeah, I don't see the validity in this structure. And it took me a couple of months to see the flow through the program for me to understand what what was being pointed to. So I called up. Well, did I call? I probably sent an email, and I don't even remember who I was talking to at the time. It would have been 2006. And I said, "How do I go about affiliating? Like, there's no one here doing it." And God, 2006. That, that might have been Lauren. I mean, that might have been just directly to the source. I could have. You know? Probably would have been. You know, I don't yeah. think I spoke to Greg. I mean, I spoke to Greg a little bit after that, but I wouldn't have spoken to him straight away. But I mean, it was hands-on back then. Like. Yeah. I was literally the third person that affiliated in Australia. There was CrossFit Sydney and CrossFit North Queensland, so further north of where I am now. Because I've moved from Melbourne up, up onto the Sunshine Coast, which is heaven. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that was so. I affiliated. I didn't have a gym. I was running it out of the park. I was learning as I was going. I was putting myself through the ringer, learning all the workouts, doing my best. And because no one around around me was doing it, people were interested in this, you know, crazy little guy who was throwing kettlebells around and doing mm -hmm. kicking pull-up, you know, like, what's all that about? So it kind of grew from there, and I met some um, some other coaches who were interested in it, and we got together, partnered up, opened the gym. What was it that flipped the switch for you when you, when you said that it took you a few months to figure it out or decide that it was a valid form of training? Um, was it personal? Was it study well, like what 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 did it uh it was it was more empirical i i did a bunch of the workouts and then oh. worked out and then, sorry not i did some workouts and then worked out that's that's very good english <laughs> I, I i then determined that like my level of fitness wasn't where i thought it was and because it was challenging and i'd come from that background of like testing myself with martial arts because if you know anything about brazilian jiu-jitsu you don't you don't get to get on the mat and get away with pretending like you, you right. get challenged every time, you, you know, regardless of what belt you put on. Like I, I have a, a purple belt at the moment that hates me because I'm injured and I haven't put my gear on for a long time. But if I get to any jujitsu club in the world and put a purple belt on, there's a level of expectation about my skill set. Right. So I'm going to be tested by everyone there all the way through the ranks. Like the, you know, the white belts and the blue belts are still going to try and kill me, <laughs> but the black belts and the brown belts aren't going to take it easy because I'm right in the middle. Yeah. So... It, that being the case, when I found CrossFit and I finally decided to give it a go, um, I was like, wow, like, this is, there's a lot going on here. It's not just about the physical activity. And um, I, I've talked to uh, Tony Blair about this kind of stuff with, you know, just like mental resilience and, and preparing yourself for other things through a physical challenge. Mm -hmm. We just said Tony was just on the podcast. It's funny you mentioned his name. Yeah, he's uh, 
I've got a lot of time for Tony. He's, he's very smart individual, yeah. scary, yeah. Like, you know, in a wonderful way. Just like that, that brilliant intensity of an understanding. Like, and like he knows what he's about. He knows his direction, and and he's like, he's just straight ahead. Yes, absolutely. My same experience of Tony. He's, he's wonderful. Um, but yeah, like just talking about that kind of like he talks about stress inoculation and all of that kind of stuff, and, and this uh, ability to be prepared for whatever gets thrown at you and. Not knowing what's coming up with CrossFit, like, but it's it's still the same. I don't follow the program anymore. But back in the day, like, you'd be like, "Holy shit, what's going to be the next? Like, what are they going to put out for the wad today?" And you, you know, it'd be, ah, what's happening? But it'd be exciting, and then it'd be challenging, and then you would do it. And you would learn that you can get through that. And you would see what you were good at, what you weren't good at. Um, you know, like the the edges of your abilities and and how you had to push them to push through. Yep. Right. So, I guess I mean hindsight's twenty twenty, so I might just be talking because I understand it now. But I, I think that I just saw a lot more to it than just exercise. And gyms are boring. I, mean, I just don't like going to the gym by myself and doing the standard, you know, pay pay your whatever it is, and then go and do a rotation through machinery. And I've never liked that. Were you a gym person prior to CrossFit? I mean, did you? How did you train for? jiu-jitsu and or anything else you were doing in life i more played than anything else and just got out and was active um and i on and off had gym memberships and i don't think it was until i discovered crossfit that i understood why i never really stuck at a gym membership so i was never i was never into bodybuilding i mean i can appreciate it but it just never really attracted me i was never into you know powerlifting again great appreciation for it but I was never, never got into it and i it was when i discovered that mix up of different things and you know, not knowing what's coming next that, that made it interesting for me. Now, not only did you, did you latch onto it yourself, but you created a program, um, being the third affiliate in the country. What, um, how did that manifest and how did, what were, what was your journey with your clients? Like how, how did you, how did you take what you were learning and apply it with your clients? Uh, I, I've got a lot of questions around it, but I'll just start there. Yeah, well, for me, it was uh, it was very much learning on the go because we were removed from any of the certification programs. Uh, there, there was no opportunity in Australia to learn anything about CrossFit. So right. for me, it was, it was all CrossFit Journal. That's what I was learning from, and uh, the forum. You know, asking questions on the forum. I came over in, as I said earlier, in two thousand and seven. When I visited uh, CrossFit LA, there was a little bit of a tour going on, but the, that was for the certification, the level one certification, as it stood back then. So my goal was always to you know, stay a step ahead of my clients, but I was always very open and honest with them, saying, like, I'm learning this stuff as we go along. And you know, I, I was always very excited if any of my clients did better than I did in an exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, eventually, we started hiring people that were members of the gym right because they got to that level when when i left crossfit victoria i I wasn't the best coach there i'm happy to say that like we developed some really good coaches Uh, i i I think looking back on it that given that i was honest i was authentic i was open with everyone that it was a really good way to go about it like it was just you know expertise is very relative i had a, a little bit more knowledge than everyone else so i could share that 
How do you manage that expectation? Because I know a lot of people might, out there might say, you know, when you're looking for a trainer, um, you're looking for somebody, and I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with this, but you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're looking for somebody with advanced degrees. You're looking for somebody with certifications after their name. You're looking for somebody with a, with, with credentials, um, yes. who knows a, you know, shit ton more than you do. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. how, how'd you make that work? It might have just been my belief structure. I mean, if I go to a website, especially in the fitness industry, and I see like more letters after someone's name than actually in their name, <laughs> right? Like, I'm more likely to call bullshit huh. because the like, how much do you actually know? You've done you've done all of these. What you know, maybe they're two day weekend courses, but but how much? How deep did you go into any any right. one of those? Right. Um, like one of. One of my friends here, I've had a really involved discussion with him for years. He, he's like, I've, I've done like five courses. You know, I've been in the industry for 25 years. I don't have all these letters after my name. I, but I tell you what, he'd be one of the best coaches in the country. But he, he doesn't have, you know, like a biomechanics degree or any of that kind of stuff. But his understanding and his ability to provide training and results for his client uh, is second to none. So for me, as long as I could safely coach and get results, I was happy with that. If anyone asked me any questions, again, open and honest, don't know, I'm going to find out for you. Well, that's my job. My job is not to know everything. My job is to be able to take you where you want to go to. And if we get to a point where I can't help you with that anymore, then I need to refer you to someone else. You know, it, um, it takes a lot of confidence in yourself to to have that attitude. It's a very, it's a, it's a very admirable, I think a very admirable quality to be able to have that level of transparency, honesty, integrity, um, and self assuredness. And I, and I, and I just wonder looking back where, where did that come from? I mean, did that come from your parents? What was, you know, did it come from, a, a great a great example that you had growing up or jujitsu or what? Well, I have no idea. I, I can't think <laughs> I can't think of any one thing that that you know, not that my parents didn't give me confidence or anything like that, but I, you know, like on the spot right now I can't think of any one moment or one uh, person that instilled confidence in me to that degree like the way that you're talking about it I just really enjoyed what I was doing and I was as much a student as I was a teacher that time and I still am uh, so I, I was just in the moment I, I, I now when I look at it because I'm, I'm coaching gym owners and other business professionals now like confidence is key and yeah. one of the biggest flaws I see in people not flaws one of the biggest difficulties I see in people is they won't put themselves out there and they won't be confident because of a fear of failure or a fear of the unknown. Yeah. I just never thought I was going to fail. And, and not that I, you know, I didn't think I was going to fail, but I also wasn't afraid of failing. Like, so if someone didn't want to train with me, I didn't really take it personally. And I always, as I, and I've said this over and over, I always just look at it, if I'm being honest and and open with everyone, then there's n- there's nothing that anyone can catch me out on. 
So it was less about confidence for me. I can see, I can see exactly what you're asking, but it was less about confidence and more just being really honest about what the, the process was. And I always wanted to continually improve myself as I still do today. So even working with the clients that I'm working with now, if I don't know, I'm going to say I don't know. Uh, but if I can help, I'm going to help. So it's almost, it almost sounds like a willingness to, like there's a humbleness. There's a willingness to be wrong. There's a willingness to, or, or you know, wrong or just don't know. Like there's a willingness to not have to know everything. Well, you can't know everything. There's too much to know. <laughs> yeah, but how, but this world is full of people who are claiming the opposite. Oh, of course, of course it is. And, you know, maybe... Maybe they're quote unquote more successful than I am. I don't know. They might be making a lot more money than me. I don't know how they how these people uh, think about success. But are, are they living authentically? That would be my question. I am coming to the realization, albeit slowly, that to be content you have to be authentic, and to be authentic you have to be vulnerable. And but that's my biggest learning this year is that if you if you're not open to the problems that can come up in life, if you're, if you're not willing to accept setbacks and failures and ridicule and criticism and and wear that and move forward, then you're going to be in trouble. When you say vulnerability, what? how does that take form in your, in your, in your business life or in your, in your client life? Hell, anywhere. How does it take form anywhere? <laughs> it's just putting yourself out there and being prepared for whatever comes back. So you're not you're not protecting yourself from any particular outcome by cocooning yourself in, in the safety of your little bubble. Like you, you get out of it, and, and when you get when you get outside your experience or you push the boundaries of what you know and what you're comfortable with, then you become vulnerable. Like. Um, I always say the most vulnerable moment I had in my life, because I had absolutely no control over it, was when my daughter was born. She's our second born, and um, she was born so quickly that she didn't know that she was out. So she was not moving. Wow. And, and, and as a father, right, you're like, I cannot do anything right now. I know like, everyone there was wonderful. They were reassuring me it's fine. They just needed to give her a massage to basically say, "Hey, hey, you're not you're not in the womb anymore. You're right, out." Right. Because as she went, like normally with, as it was explained to me later, going through the birthing channel, they get they spend a lot more time in that process, so they kind of get massaged on the way out. Yeah. Well, she didn't have that, so she wasn't breathing, she wasn't moving, and I was just like, "Well, like this is true vulnerability. Cause I can't do anything," and. and Taught me in that moment that you just have to go with the flow. It, it, it's that, you know, quesara, sara. Um, and so vulnerability comes with that. I think that parents understand vulnerability really well because as soon as you have children, like, there's, you have unconditional love for them, but anything can happen. Like, you have to let them go. Like, I'm, I'm sitting in my home right now. My children are both at school. I don't know what's happening with them. I have to trust that, you know, the universe is taking care of them, the teachers are taking care of them, what else? But it's, it's being vulnerable and allowing things like that to happen in business. You could talk about martial arts. I mean, being vulnerable in martial arts for, for, for me as a, you know, starting jujitsu was walking into a gym and having done martial arts for seven, eight years, but not knowing a thing about grappling like that when I started Brazilian jujitsu. It was like going back to, going back to square one. 
completely vulnerable, you're going to get the bejesus kicked out of you. It's not comfortable. And it's challenging. It's confronting. But you you can't walk in that door without being vulnerable. People will talk about courage, and yeah, that's that's part of it. But part of that courage is allowing yourself to be in that vulnerable situation. I'm still yeah. formulating it. I'm still working out this vulnerability thing. I I just read an article about. Um, I'm trying to remember the title of the article, but it was an article about parents and kids and how though crime rates are down I, I can't remember the percentage it's like point zero 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 seven percent uh chance of your child being abducted in a like say a public place a public park or yeah. walking to school or whatever and yet yeah. and yet parents today and i don't know if this is universal or just in the united states are way less likely to allow their kids to um, experience life the way we used to experience life back when back in the '60s and '70s when I was growing up. So um, true. You know, part of it's lit, the lit, litigious world we live in. Um, but but it's affecting the point of the article was it was it's affecting kids' ability to deal with life later in life. They don't get the mm. chance to deal with problems. They don't get the chance to fail. Uh, because a parent is always there to bail them out and rescue them. Well, I, I can tell you, as when I was a kid, like we tried to kill ourselves so many times. Like, in, <laughs> in yeah, so did we. <laughs> when I look at it now, I'm like, I am lucky I made it past like 15. Oh, like how many trees I fell out of? How many times oh. I rode my bike in places I shouldn't have ridden my bike and landed on my face? I mean, we didn't wear helmets. Yep, no, no helmets, no seatbelts, no, no, no helmets, no. I mean, all these things. I'd come home with blood dripping from everywhere, and, and mum and dad would be like, "Are you okay? We'd better wash that," and that would be it. Yeah. And I mean, I can even see it as a father with my kids that I have to stop myself, not not baby babying them, but like being overly protective. Um, and look, my, my my children have friends like three houses down the street. We live in the, one of the quietest streets probably on the planet. And I still have that thought. It's like he's, he, like my son or she, my daughter are walking by themselves. But like you say, the, the likelihood of anything bad happening is so remote, especially where I am. It's not like I'm in a metropolis. Right. And, right. and they're going to be, you know, in 50 meters, they're walking past 100 people they don't know. It's not, it's nothing like that. Well, it's, and it's, like so it's out of proportion of, of yeah. reality. Like getting in a car is three million times more dangerous than exactly. anything anything that might happen, and yet we do it all the time, and we don't even think twice about it. It's not it's even correct. a. It's just an odd thing, and I, I mean, I fall into the same predicament myself. I mean, I, it's funny. I just sent Dashiell out. He's nine, and I just sent him out uh, on his first timed one mile run course. We we mapped around the neighborhood, uh-huh. and. Uh, I decided very intentionally that I wasn't going to run it with him and I was going to let him experience it on his own because he's playing soccer now and he needs to know how far a mile is. And, but I met him at all the, at, there were two intersections, two, there was two places he had to cross the street that there was no stop sign. And mm-hmm. I met him at those two places. But the, the times that I couldn't see him because he was going around these long blocks were, were just interesting. I had to deal with a bunch of feelings that came up like, what if something happened my wife would never forget? I mean, like all these irrational, a, a slew of irrational thoughts went through my head. Yes. You know, like I almost created an entire, an entirely new future 
based on what might have happened in that split second that I couldn't see him. And it's amazing how we do that to ourselves. And we do it with everything. Like we, we spend so much time worrying about what might happen in the future or agonizing over what did happen in the past or our interpretation of what did happen in the past that we don't spend any time right now. Right. It's like both of those, like the, the past and the future, it's, it's all, it's all imaginary, right? Like the, the way you remember this phone call in a month's time will be slightly different to the way I remember it based on our perspective. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of, it's almost like a dream that our memory is almost like dreams. And then, Maybe for some, for some people, like the future's a nightmare because you, because it's unknown. But my well, it creates anxiety. You know, like yeah, you exactly sit around right. and think about what might happen. Well, I think the root human fear is the fear of the unknown, and everything else is just a manifestation of that. And all we're really scared about is like not knowing. You go into a dark room, you don't know what's in there, so therefore, I'm scared. Is that? sensible and rational because as you said what are the probabilities of something going wrong i don't know and like, I, my, my daughter's five she's she's six in in december so she's you know five and a bit and uh she's she has this irrational fear of the dark and like we have a bright house there's so much glass in this house it's amazing it's like it's never fully dark anywhere but she won't go up the stairs by herself huh. so we had to teach her how to turn the lights on and so she's learned that from somewhere. It's really interesting. I mean, people, I mean, adults, do that in different ways. And I see it with, uh, with businesses. Like, you want to make more sales, pick up the phone and call someone. Oh, but what if, you know, like, what if they tell me to, you know, go away? What if they don't, what if they don't like me? Well, how do you know that that's going to happen? You don't know that that's going to happen. Well, you're, you're making some assumptions that might not even be based on any level of reality. And it's all just fear of the unknown. Pick up the phone. What's going to happen? Yeah, it's a, it's. Um, I, mean, I mean, I wonder if that's just the human condition. You know, I, I think about people in Afghanistan. I think about people in Russia. People that people in Africa, uh, India, that, in cultures that I know nothing about. Really, do mm-hmm. they? Do they have? Is it a human condition? Is it an American condition? Or you know, an English-speaking country, Western? Condition, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. I, I don't know. I think so. I think this. I think we're all searching for something, and we don't know what we're searching for. And I think that's the, you know, everyone's in some way or other is asking, what's the meaning of life? Some people have kind of worked it out. Some people haven't. Some people have worked out there isn't an answer. You know, uh, and different different cultures have different um, traditions and, you know, different religious structures and different spiritual structures. So they look at these things from a slightly different angle, but I think it's still the same question. Like if it was just a, if it was just a quote unquote Western thing, then we wouldn't have, we, we wouldn't have Zen monks, right? Who were right. telling everyone, you know what? Just relax. It's all okay. Like everything is as it should be. But we do have those people and Westerners, like we're going to learn from those people or, you know, maybe we're learning from more local traditions, but there's, there's something there. Like, well, but they also have a following of their own people. It's not just yeah. Westerners that are learning from Buddhist yeah, monks. Exactly right. they're, right. they're, 
They're Buddhists. They're, they're, I'm sorry. They're, they're people in the, in the Eastern Hemisphere that are learning from Buddhist monks because they're not all Buddhists and they're not all monks. <laughs> exactly. Correct. So if they are having that, um, you know, if they've got the same questions as we have, right. then it, maybe it is just the human condition. Right. I don't have the answer for that one. It's just an interesting thing to think about. I, I haven't spent much time. I mean, maybe I have, but I, I've never had a conversation had about a conversation. it before. I do a lot of thinking around it, to be quite honest. Like, just to, I'm very interested in the way my own mind works and why I have certain thoughts and whether I should actually be paying attention to them at all, which most of the time I think the answer is no. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think the jury's out on how many thoughts we have a day. I read something the other day that said it's like 50,000 plus thoughts a day. I don't know how that gets quantified. I don't know how they did the mathematics. But that's, that's a ridiculous amount of thoughts to be paying any attention to. No wonder meditation, no wonder is, meditation so is so hard. For most people, I mean, no, no, no wonder a lot of people can't fall asleep at night because it's the only time they go quiet and they quieten themselves enough and then what happens is their brain starts churning because just what like, they've been spending their whole day distracting themselves from what their brain's doing. I find that very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting when you have a, a moment to stop how your brain can't stop. You know, it's very it's a learned thing. I mean, I've been meditating on and off for years, and there's only been, you know, counted on both hands a number of times where I've sat there and went, ah, I'm not thinking. But then all of a sudden, <laughs> you're thinking because you're thinking that you're not thinking. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, yes, I've got it. Ah, oh, I lost it. So, Adam, uh, so you, how? You, you're no longer training clients. You're working with business owners to help them break through, run successful businesses. These are all personal trainers. Is that right? Predominantly, yeah. So, so I, have, I have a business called Fill Your Gym, which uh, wasn't my idea, that name. It came, from, it came from a friend of mine who owns a gym, and he's like, I'm not interested in any of this garbage marketing, like make your business a six-figure business. All I want to do is fill my gym. I was like, well, you can't be the only one. So, so I started out helping when, when I sold my share of CrossFit Victoria, prior to that, I had been mentoring, uh, personal trainers who wanted to open gyms and had already opened gyms and a couple of my clients just sort of, I suppose, quote unquote, life and career counseling. And I thought, well, that's, that's where I'm headed next. That just seems to be the natural flow of things that I want to coach, but I just, I, I'm not having as much joy come out of uh, sort of the personal training space, but I still want to coach. So uh, much like America, there are a small percentage of gyms and personal trainers who do really well here and quite a lot that struggle. And I've, I've always had success having a coach of mine who's someone steps outside of what's going on and they've got perspective and they've got clarity and you know the third thing I always talk about with my clients is accountability so those three things coming from an outside place can really help now there's for, for most people it's not about strategy like most people know what to do they're just not doing it and they're 
busy trying to reinvent the wheel or chase their own tail. So I now come in and just try and simplify what's going on for people. And three and a bit years, I started to work out that it's, it's less about what's going on in the business and it's more about what's going on for the person who runs the business. So hence you saying that you've uh, been having a look at my recent Instagram feed, which is talking a lot more about mindfulness and mindset. And I talk about mastery a lot as well, which is you know, self-mastery under another name. Working on those areas helps the business. Uh, the problem, I guess, is most people are so focused on what the business isn't doing and they're worried about money and they're worried about all that kind of stuff that they can't get past the fear to actually do the work that's required. So what kind of what kind of work do you mean? Uh, well, the actual work within the business, whether it be as we talked before about picking up the phone, like almost every gym owner I talk to, I ask them what's the biggest stress you've got, and they say well, I don't have enough leads. And I'm like, well, okay, what would you do if I gave you twenty leads tomorrow? And they don't know they they don't know what to do. They have no idea how to sell. They don't know how to serve the people properly. They haven't got the confidence in their product to just get out there and say. You have this need. I can fulfill it for you. This is how much it's going to cost when you want to start. Because it, because for most people, again, it's fear. Is it fear yeah. of just picking up the telephone? Or is it fear of, of getting it wrong and like blowing, <clears throat> blowing it with those 20 people? Yeah. Like what will happen if I get this wrong? Hmm. Or what will happen if I pick up the phone and they don't want to talk to me? Like will it diminish my value as a person? Or, you know, like I need to make... $2,000 this week, here are 20 phone calls that I could make. If I sell half of them, I make that amount of money, but what if I don't? If you don't do it, the answer is you don't get it. Do people, need, you, to, do people need to take a course in how to, you know, do they need to write up a script and practice the script three million times or take a course in selling to be able to do this? Or do you tell them you just need to pick the damn phone up and get over yourself? Yeah, so I generally will start, well, it depends on the individual, but generally I'll start with the strategy so I can give people a system that they can trust so it removes them having this feeling about not understanding what to do, like not understanding the steps. So it's it's laid out. Here's a step-by-step uh, system that you can follow that I've used myself that however many clients of mine have used as well. It works. You've just got to do it. So then it becomes a matter of following the process, which is, as you say, it's pick up the phone. Well, what do you do? But what do I do? Like, what do I say? Well, here's, here's what you say. Make that your own. It's going to be a bit robotic when you start it. You need to practice it. Like, you don't go and pick up a guitar and, and play like Eric Clapton, right? right you, you pick up right. a guitar and you sound ridiculous. Like, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even sound like music. It doesn't even sound like a guitar. You know, there's like an expectation that you get to master something straight away. It doesn't happen. Like I learn something new every day. I've been, I don't know, how long have I been in business now? 12, 15 years? started my first business when I was 11, but I kind of got away from it for a while. But, you know, like I, I'm still learning stuff. You know, I don't, you, you know, I reckon if you talk to Richard Branson, he would tell you he's still learning stuff about business. Yep. Well, what you're really talk what you're really talking about is um, enrollment, right? Is which is different than sales. 
How do you differentiate those things, or do you? Have you ever heard it put that way before? I have I, in terminology. I don't use the term enrollment, but what I say to people is, is just stop thinking about it as selling. If, if your problem is that you're selling, then you need to stop thinking about selling. Think about it just being part of the process of coaching. The vast majority of people I talk to, they just I just want to coach people. Like I just. And I'm not interested in being a salesperson. I'm not interested in being a, a gym owner. I just want to coach people. Okay, so let's coach people. Let's let's reframe the way you think about sales. Instead of it being about you know the old used car salesman idea of just forcing someone into something they don't want, facilitate the decision. So if you if someone contacts you and they want to. They want to lose five kilos. They want to put on five kilos. They want to you know, see their abs for some, you know, whatever goal they have, it doesn't really matter. And you can help them. Well, show them how you can help. Show them what they need and then make the offer and then shut up. Like let them make the decision because it's about them. It's not about you. And I think that, well, not I think, I know part of the big problem around sales is the person selling makes it about them rather than about the other person. Huh. Huh. It's especially true of like selling services. You know, if you're selling if you're selling a car or you're selling a widget, um, you know, you can kind of get away with uh, being a little bit more abrupt in your selling. It still takes the same level of confidence. You still need to understand strategies. You still need to understand psychology. But if you're selling yourself as the provider of the service, then you, I mean. You can't be an ass when you're making a sale, right? Because that's that's going to come back and bite you. Right. Uh, and a lot of people just make all the decisions around their about their business solely around money. Now, it's true to say that the reason a business exists is for it to make money, so you can use that money to provide whatever you want in your life. You know, whether it's just bare essentials or whether it's bright and shiny things. The problem with thinking about money is if you don't have enough of it, you stress about it a lot. So what I like to encourage people to do is understand that the outcome is the money, but what brings the outcome is actions. And if you can focus on the actions that you take and you know that those actions are proven and there's a trusted system that results in money, then you don't have to worry about the money anymore. You concern yourself with the actions you both take. And same is true. If it's not about money, if it's about I don't know, being, being more at peace, you know, being a bit more relaxed. Well, practice those activities that will lead to you being more at peace rather than just going, I'm just, you know, serenity now. I just, uh, I want it. Well, practice the system, find a system. You know, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's Tai Chi, maybe it's Jiu Jitsu, maybe it's CrossFit, maybe it's triathlons. I don't know, you know, maybe it's just sitting outside in the sun. It could be anything, right? whatever that process needs to be. So would you say that it's more about action than it is around goal, setting goals? How do those two things, how, how do those things um, uh, go together for you? Hmm. I don't know if it's more about action because the idea of having a direction to go in well, you have to have an idea of where you're going. I mean, if you don't know which direction you're going in, then all action is kind of redundant. You just, 
treading water on the same spot, not going anywhere. You're doing a whole bunch of work and not getting anywhere. So you have to know where you want to go to. Uh, I think a, a lot of the time with goal setting, people get hung up on this idea of setting the perfect goal. Like they need to know exactly what they want in 10 years' time. My belief is you need to understand the general direction in which you want to go and start doing the work and putting in the action to get in that general direction. Like, I don't know exactly where I want to be in 10 years' time other than to be able to say, you know, I want my family to be comfortable financially, you know, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, physically as well. I want our relationships to be strong. Uh, I'd like to be able to travel and I'd like to just be enjoying life. What, how that manifests for me and for my family, I don't know, but I know that the work that I need to do is about finding balance with people, about improving the relationships with the three other people that are in my house. Um, but I don't have a specific. I don't have a specific set of goals that are like I need to spend this amount of time with my son every day. So, so you don't really break down that long-term vision into you know, okay, by the end of this year, I'm going to be able to blah 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 blah. blah. You don't have it but, broken down that way. No, not not for me. Not for, not for the bigger picture stuff. Like I, I know this will sound a bit might sound a, a little bit corny, but I know what kind of person I want to be. Mm-hmm. So now. I'm, now I'm on the journey to achieve what, whatever that is. And that will probably change. Like 10 years ago, I was not anything like I am now. And 10 years before that, again. So I, I turned 40 in, what, two weeks. So when I was 30, I was a completely different character. When I was 20, I still didn't know how to tie my shoelaces up. And when I was 10, I was probably having the most fun in my life. I think probably if I can get closer to like that 10-year-old self, I'd be doing a really good job. Um, <laughs> right. So I, now, for me, for me at the moment, like we, we've moved from Melbourne, second biggest city in Australia, to Sunshine Coast. So I'm near Noosa, which you might have heard of as like a holiday spot. There, you know, the amount of people here is so low compared to what I'm used to, and that's the lifestyle is slow and everything's slow because what my wife Erica and I have decided is, you know, whilst we're interested in having things, we're more interested in having a relaxed, enjoyable life. Right. So so that's the path. So I did set myself, for, to give you an idea of goals, I did set a goal to move to where we've moved to. It actually happened a year later than I wanted it to happen, but it happened, and now we're here. So I, I kind of do things like that, like this is the next thing. Um, for us at the moment, in terms of personal goals, we're just consolidating where we're at at the moment. Um, for my business, I have goals on the transition that I'm taking it through now. So I'm, I'm moving not away from, but I'm, I'm complementing this business coaching side of things with more of a mindset mindfulness coaching practice, which has come to pass because of the work I've done over the last three years, understanding that it's less about the strategy and more about working on the belief structures and you know, the fears and where the person's coming from individually. So I think I can help people more with that. So, you know, my goals are about transitioning, but there's, I, I haven't set myself like big financial targets and all that kind of stuff at the moment, which is kind of interesting because when I work with gyms, I'm like, this is really specific. You own a gym. This is what you're doing. There's no transition. Let's get your business model. We need KPIs in place. We need to measure everything and we need an action plan. I'm, I'm a little bit out of the box in that stuff. I'm, because I'm trying to sort through it myself, 
I'm allowing myself a little leeway to try and let it all fall into place. I've always found that when you try and grasp and, and, and force the answer, it doesn't come. You just sometimes mm-hmm. you need to sit back and allow yourself the space for the answer to come to you. You know, it sounds like you have a lot of stuff together, uh, which is fantastic. I mean, I, lo- I love the move that you and your wife made and the conscious decision you made to change your life that way. What are some of the areas that you struggle? Where where are the places that you see room for improvement and that you think about as opportunities for growth um, for you, your family, whatever, whatever you want to share? Um, for me, it's a really poignant question because it's something that I'm focusing on at the moment. I have always tended to get frustrated quite easily, whether that be the performance of myself, the performance of others, um, you know, just what's going on around me. So analyzing where that comes from has been really interesting for me and not uh, finding a way or a process to not respond with frustration to certain uh, inputs. Really, does, does that come out as anger? How does that come? How does that come out? It does. I mean, I think my default setting for most of my most of my youth would have been anger. Like, just like, how do you, how how is Adam going to respond when we poke him with a stick? <laughs> it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been, hey man, how you doing? Have a nice day. <laughs> would have been, you know, like that was just the automatic response. It took me many years to work out that that's what I was actually doing. What are the things that feel like th- what they're poking you these days? Like, what are the things that tr- that pull you into that sort of reaction? Oh, my kids, man. Like, you would understand it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very well. <laughs> but you can't respond because it, it's not like they're trying to make you angry. Right. They're just, they're just trying to get what they want. Or I think frustration for me is having to repeat myself over and over again when I feel like, I, you know, if I say this once, twice, or three times, that should be enough. That's, I mean, and that's pretty specific to the kids. But there's a great uh, – there's a great um, – Zen teaching about this in, uh, I think it's in the Moomin Khan, which is like a volume of sort of, they're not koans, they're kind of stories. And it, it's about a master who rings, rings his bell for his servant to come to him. So his servant comes up to the hermitage and he says, oh, no, no, it's all right, go, don't worry about it, it's fine. So servant goes away, rings his bell again, the servant comes up and the master says, oh, no, I forgot, I can't remember what it was. It's okay, go away, it's fine. And the servant just turns around, walks back. So the master says, you know, I'll get him, on, I'll get him this third time. Uh, you know, I'm going to get a reaction. Rings the bell. The servant comes up. Oh, no, no, I don't need you. I accidentally rang the bell. And so the servant just says, okay, master, and walks off. <laughs> master's trying to trap the student in something. But the way that the student responds is the same every time as if the master's rung the bell once. So I'm trying to do that with my kids. Like when they – you know, if we've got a rule because we've got straight concrete floors in our house. If you fall down on one of these, you do yourself a mischief. It's, it's almost like it's almost like ice, like a ice, like a yeah, ice skating. I was thinking of yeah, especially uh, if someone's wearing socks inside, which yeah. doesn't happen oh, yeah. often enough. It's quite warm, but so we've got a rule: don't run inside. Apart from it being, you know, a socially better rule to not have children learning that they can run indoors all the time. Yeah, but what is it about running inside? that kids love running inside. Love running inside. <laughs> Like in, I think they're in a rush to enjoy themselves. It's like, oh, I've got to go outside and play soccer or I'm yep. on the trampoline. 
and they forget they're not running because they're running. They're just getting to where they're going to as fast yes. as possible. Yes, totally. So I'm trying to do that Zen master thing now, which uh, I will admit more often than I fail at miserably where I'm just trying to say, please don't run in the house. And then when they do it again, I have the same response. Please don't run in the house rather than flying off the handle and saying, I've told you 12 times. Right. So that's my thing at the moment. What am I improving? The removing the trigger to frustration and anger, or at least realizing that it exists and doing my best to respond in a different fashion. And I think the second part of your question was, as a family, the focus, the focus for me is improved communication. Huh. Just understanding, like, I don't remember what it was like to be a child, but I, I can kind of remember what it was like trying to speak to my parents when I was smaller and learning and not really understanding the world. And, and they were always wonderful. Was, uh, very, they were very encouraging. You know, a few times I probably would have flown off the handle at me, but I'm sure I deserved it. Um, learning, my wife and I have been married 10 years this year. Wow, that's awesome. Wow, congratulations. Um, thank you. A um, decade. That's a long time. Next year, this year, November, that's October, sorry, not November. You're, defi- um, you're defying the odds, I think. I mean, I, I, it's got to be over the, I don't know what the average is, but it's got to be over the average. Yeah, I think we're doing well. I, like, yeah, so we'll have to either kill each other or something will have to kill us for us to be able to <laughs> Either that it's, or you're both just super stubborn, like me and my wife. We're, we're, uh, we're, yeah. we're, at, we're, we're, we're at 14 and we're both incredibly stubborn. So, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, marriage is a process, right? I mean, you don't have to be married, but being with someone in that, in that close, intimate environment for so long, you, you you learn a lot of stuff about yourself and you learn a lot of stuff about human relationship. And I mean, I learn something about Erica just about every day. And more often than not, I learn about what I put out to her rather than, you know, like her, her you know, the way she reacts or anything like that. What I learn more about my stuff than her stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so in terms of improving relationships and communication, it's, I see that I need to look at how I can improve that and then it'll flow on and not get frustrated if everyone else isn't on the same path. I think that's a really big one now that I mentioned it. Like the people who are on this journey of self-discovery, self-awareness, self-mastery, whatever you want to call it, you know, people get a little bit caught up in terminology around it, but you can get frustrated if other people aren't on the path. Yes. People, yep. people come around to it at different times. And I think, you know, I, I probably drive Erica crazy with, you know, trying to be like some kind of yogi working stuff out. And she's just, <laughs> you and I have a lot in common. I know I drive yeah. my wife crazy with that. I know, I, I know that for a fact. She's told me so. <laughs> There's no probably about it. <laughs> yeah, I have been, I've been told with words and facial expressions. <laughs> but it's brilliant. Like, my dad said something to me, like, amazingly, like, years ago. He, he and... My mum, I don't know how long they've been married now. Let me work out. 42 years. Wow. Wow. On the 30th wedding anniversary, he said to me, mate, he said, I think it takes 30 years to truly understand someone. Wow. I was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's that's really deep coming from my dad. I'm not even halfway there. You're not even a third of the way there. You are a third of the way there. Jeez. You're almost almost half the way there. But that was pretty profound. Like, yeah. And it kind of points. It kind of points to that idea of mastery again, right? Like it, it takes time. Yeah. 
There, you, there you are no to, shortcuts, right? There are no shortcuts. Yeah, well, you, you can go and read all the books about how to be a good husband and all that kind of stuff, but if you don't have the time to practice or, and go through the process, understanding something intellectually is not the same as being able to apply it. Right. Well, it's also very easy to think that my life or your, you know, your life, whoever, whoever's speaking, my life is different. It's not the way everyone else has. Everyone else has it easy. And I'm, and I'm just a moron or suffering or slow or, you know, my spouse is the same. And, you know, as, as if the rest of the world has their shit together and I don't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to a guy recently uh, locally who we, we were at a business networking the, uh, evening and, and we got talking and, and he had been a millionaire before. He probably still is now. He wasn't talking about his funds now. But he said, I had all this money. You know, like, I, was, I was a baller. I'd go out every night. I'd spend money whenever I wanted to. I hated my life. And I think that we have this perception that people who we see as being successful have a life that's different to ours. Like they've got they've got their shit together. They they've got everything. They've got, they've, a lot got of money. The, they've got the secret sauce. And they don't. Right. They don't. They just don't. they have the same shit that we have. Right. They just have more shiny things. Right. Like you look look at someone who like most people would say Kanye is pretty successful, right? He's a brilliant artist, whether you like what he puts out or not, he's very creative, completely insane, but brilliant. Yep. He's in a pile of debt at the moment, right? So I'm sure he's got some stresses that are happening for him, even though he's elevated that level of stature in, in our society. Does, yeah, I'm sure, well, I don't know, because I don't know the man. He's still yeah, but if you, know, if you know human nature... And you can yep. pull yourself out of that that mode that we all tend to that trap that we all tend to fall in, which is, you know, um, the the trap that they everybody else out there has their shit together. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you realize it's just a that's just the human trap. It is. It is like you know, Jim Carrey's a really interesting character to listen to when he, he did a really good commencement speech at one of the universities in the States. I can't remember what it was, but I mean, people are interested. I'll find it on YouTube. But he said, uh, I think it was Jim Carrey. I might be getting confused, and I'm sure someone will write in and say, Adam doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> if it wasn't him, it was someone of his. Look, it was basically, I wish everyone could be. My, my guy that's, that, that does my, his name's Cameron. He does all of our um, write-ups, and he researches the links. So he's going to be looking for Jim Carrey and the link to Jim Carrey and be cursing, will, cursing me or you when he can't find this commencement speech. So He'll find the commencement speech, but whether he said what I'm about to say or not. <laughs> it could be somebody else. So, but there'll be comments now. We've got. We'll have a trail of comments. But right. doesn't know. But he said something like, assuming it was him, "I wish everyone could be rich and famous, and then they'd understand that it's not the answer." Hmm. Hmm. Because he's got all the stuff now. Right. But he's still got human shit to deal with. Right. Right. Which I think is important for everyone to acknowledge. Like, wherever you are right now, there's a reason that you're there right now. Like, maybe you made some bad decisions. It doesn't mean you can't make some other decisions that'll get you out of there. Well, it's interesting. You know, it's funny. What just popped into my head was, um, for some reason, adventure racing popped into my head because you know, I spent I've spent a lot of years doing these multi long distance, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred mile races, 
and wow. and I and I think of the amount of um, training and commitment and teamwork and and focus and determination it took to do those things, and you know people look at it and people people used to always look at it who hadn't done it before and think I was some sort of superhuman like and granted not everybody can do the, do the do adventure races but I, but I, you know it was it it doesn't it leads to a whole host of other things that either get left out of your life or that lead to other problems that don't result in what people think they think it might result in you know um it's a very interesting uh, it's a very interesting thing. It's that grass is always greener thing. You just don't know. You don't know. Mm. Does that make sense? Strange. I don't know yeah. exactly if I'm explaining that well, but but that that's what popped yeah. into my head. I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm grasping it. Um, yeah, the human condition is a well, – we are, as, as a species, are going to be trying to work this out un, until the end of our days. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, look, I, I don't think we're going to get the answer because – they haven't had the answer for, you know, maybe three or four people. Buddha, uh, Jesus Christ, you know, some of these amazing religious spiritual leaders have supposedly come up with the answer. Um, not very many people in the history of mankind have. So no, that's true. Um, it's true. <laughs> and like what Bill Hicks used to, used to say, the people come with the answer, and what do we do? We kill them. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so do we, <laughs> here's my thing about the answer. There isn't one. That's my conclusion yeah, as it stands yeah. at the moment. And, and if there is an answer, it's not about the answer. It's about asking the correct question. And we can be too fearful to ask that question. So, for instance, you know, like, like what's my calling? What, what am I supposed to? What am I supposed to do with myself? What's my unique gift? Um, Paolo Coelho calls it personal legend. You're not going to uncover that unless you ask yourself that question. And that's a difficult question to ask because you might be a super powerful stock trader on Wall Street, right? And you ask yourself the question, like, what's my calling? And you find out it's to be an artist and you're going to paint canvases. But you're used to, like, you have to give up high-powered, high-paced, high-money lifestyle to go and be an artist and struggle. And if you if you don't go there, you know that you're going to be like, there's going to be a hole in your soul because you're not going to follow your purpose. So a lot of people won't even ask the question because of the fear of what they'll find out. Yeah. That comes full circle to what we were talking about at the start where without asking that question, you can't you can't manifest your authentic self. And without that level of authenticity, you can't. Uh, I think you just touched on something really important is, is um, you can't stuff the genie back in the bottle. So the fear of seeing, discovering this authenticity is, I think, a lot of times the thing that people resist because they're afraid of the answer. They're afraid mm -hmm. of the answer that'll come up. They're, they're afraid of the consequences of the answer, not, not of the answer itself. And you see evidence of this every day with people distracting themselves. Like we have a lot of time in each day, enough time to do all the work that we need to do, whether we work for ourselves or work for someone else, enough time to 
clean the house, do the dishes, make the food, do all of that kind of stuff, and sit and just be. Instead of doing that, we pick up our devices, we spend time on social media, we watch videos, we do all of this kind of stuff that just distracts our mind and blocks it from just being able to be, because if we do that, maybe the answer pops up and that's scary. How do you, um, personally, what do you do to combat that? Do you have a practice? To combat the distraction? Yeah. Like, do you have a practice in your life that you, do you have limits you set for yourself? Do you have certain times of day that you allow yourself to, you know, to market, to, to do, to use social media, what it can be used for when you're a small business owner? Like what, Mm. how do you, how do you do it? I've tried one of everything. I used to be like systematic junkie, try all these different processes, have rules, have times to do this in my business, have times to play, structure, structure, structure. You know, in terms of productivity, looked at 43 folders and getting things done, GTD, and all these different methodologies and tried it all. And now I'm at the point where I've just thrown it all out hmm. I'm very, and I'm very fluid. In terms of the question about social media, I don't spend any time on Twitter anymore because I don't get it. I know some people really get it, but I just don't understand the whole concept. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook, I found, just got really dark really, really quickly, and the joy of being on Facebook and having conversations is gone for me. So I spend time on Facebook conversing with people who are interested in what I'm interested in, mostly for business and coaching. And do you, So do you use that for like messaging, or do you, use, do you actually engage on pages and, and on people's walls? Yeah, I'll mostly put my own content out that I deem to be potentially helpful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll interact with some people, but I find that as soon as you interact with someone, people think you're taking a stand and that you're going to be arguing right and, right and wrong. And it just becomes binary and it's too much gray for the world to be binary. I just don't need those arguments. So I really don't spend much time on Facebook anymore, so that's not a problem. Um I spend a lot of time on Instagram, well, not a lot of time, but any time where I just like, okay, a bit of downtime, I jump on Instagram because I'm a visual person. I like looking at pretty pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I seem to be able to interact with people with my output in a much more positive way on, on Instagram than on Facebook. So yeah, I've got a lot of stuff on Instagram that are around these ideas of mindfulness, mindset, and mastery. So very much the positive mindset, uh, um, you know, motivational type stuff, and I'm not a motivational speaker, I don't want to be, that gets really well received on Instagram, and, uh, and there are a lot of, there's a lot of positive feedback, Like I haven't had any negative comments with that. On Facebook, you put something up, like an idea like that, and the potential for getting someone say, well, that's bullshit, like, I don't agree with you, and, and be um, adversarial about that is so much higher, hmm. and I don't necessarily want you to agree with me, but I don't need you to start an argument. It's really right, easy. Right, right. It's easy. You just don't hit like, don't comment, read what I put up, have a think about it, and then you know, just go on with your life. Right. It's all right. You don't have to agree with me. If you don't, if you don't think mindset's important, that's cool. If you don't want to have a, a mindfulness practice in your day, don't have one. If you think you should be able to master everything in three minutes rather than... 10, 20, 30 years, good luck to you. Like, I hope, I hope you succeed and prove me wrong because that would be cool. So on your Instagram posts, you have some, you do a lot of quotes. Um, do you have a pattern that you 
like do you share anything from your family do you do pictures do you just do quotes and do you make those yourself do you have a graphic design, graphic artist that puts those together how do you do it uh, i do them myself um, i do have a process I, I basically alternate between a quote image and a photo of my life so i share my journey um, if anyone gets on to my instagram feed in the next little while they'll see there's very rarely any photos of the family because it, like, my belief is if the kids want to show their faces and show themselves on social media, they can do that later on when that's okay. My yep. wife's got her own account. She shows her own stuff. We sometimes post stuff a little bit. But I will take photos of my guitars. I'll take photos of my vinyl collection, of the sketches that I'm doing, of the place I'm at, you know, like a coffee that I'm enjoying. You know, just to and – and I'll write something about that experience because what Instagram is for me other than – now, just putting stuff out and seeing what people respond to, it's sort of a journal about what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I've started reconnecting with my creative side, you know, playing guitar a lot more as, um, you know, if you could see my fingers, you'd see one that's got a lovely blister on it at the moment. <laughs> cool. Do you, a, do you have an acoustic or, or electric or what do you play? I have both. I've got an old Japanese classical guitar, which would be pushing 40 years old now. Probably wow. 40 years old. Steel, steel strings? No, it's an acoustic classical nylon string. Oh, wow. Got a really average strat copy that is terrible to play. And I've borrowed from down the street uh, Ibanez RG series, uh, which is amazing. Uh, the electronics are shot, but it's got a really fast thin neck jumbo fret, so I can actually feel like I can play music on it. Um, and I'm about to get a PRS uh, SE24 for my birthday, which I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy store. PRS is probably my favorite guitar manufacturer. Have so, you ever uh, had one? Have you had one before? Not a PRS, no. But I've got a friend in Melbourne who's got um, it's a 513, which is... What's a 513? Maybe it's a 313. I can't remember. Anyway, this amazing... Work of art guitar that you know, you know, when you pick up an instrument and you're like, ah, okay, that's the difference. Like, it doesn't have to be a guitar, I'm sure yeah, the same yeah. would be with a sax player and whatever else. But after playing my uh, $150 clone and picking up his three and a half thousand, four thousand dollar, I mean, I'm not sure how much it costs, but probably not. Guitar and just going, ah, that's what a guitar should feel like, right? Right? So, what I'm getting is built in Southeast Asia that's based on that build quality and you know, probably not the same componentry, but I played it in the music store the day before yesterday. I was like, yep, this will do. This is, this is a guitar. So I've got that and I've bought myself a sketchbook and a whole heap of um, pencils and doing all this kind of stuff. I was listening to Paolo Coelho on a podcast. The podcast is called On Being, if anyone's interested. It's um, called what? On D? On Being. On being, being, got it, huh? I can't remember. Krista Tippett or something like that is the host's name. But yeah, Paolo Coelho, who wrote *The Alchemist of Pilgrimage*, yeah, only could decide. Um, he was talking about, he, he, as I said before, he talks about this uh, idea of personal legend, and he said it, he thinks that everyone knows what they want to do when they're a teenager, but they forget. Huh, that's interesting. And, and they then move along, and some people rediscover it, and some people don't. And when you rediscover it, we were talking about this with the vulnerability and, and um, you know, getting the answer, like allowing yourself space to get the answer. 
He's like, you've got to follow it. So he did the same thing. When he was 40, he did the pilgrimage and then became a writer and nothing happened for years. And all of a sudden, he's one of the most read authors in the world. Right, right. But when he said that in the podcast, I'm like, what did I want to do when I was a teenager? And I just wanted to draw and do art. So whilst that might not be my path, I'm now now bringing that back into my experience. So every day I draw a little bit and I'm – I'm mad for tattoos. I love tattoos, so I'm, I'm um, trying, trying, trying very hard to uh, draw American traditional tattoo designs. So that's something I'm playing with at the moment. Wow, very cool. And it, like ink, pen, and ink, or uh, pencil, or how how are you? What kind of drawings do you do? Pencil and ink. And if I actually get to the point where I can get some crisp lines, I might get some watercolors and see if I can actually make it colorful as well. Oh, cool. But it, Nice to reconnect with something I used to do as a kid. Right, right. That's and cool. That's kind of you know you were asking about what process do I have about getting things done. I, I try and have time in my day to be creative because I find that's meditative as well. So sitting playing guitars and trying not to get frustrated when you keep getting a bum note. When you or, play, let me ask you a question about guitar because I play guitar. I uh, picked it up. Gosh. I guess I started, my wife gave me a guitar about 10 years ago, but I started actually playing it about four years ago and I took some lessons and I would not say that I actually am a guitar player, but I, um, I noodle, I noodle with it. Basically that I've never gotten past noodling. I I watch TV and I noodle through all bunch of chords. Um, but how do you practice and do you play songs and how, you know, like what's your, do you just mess around or do you actually have a, practice system that you use lately it's been messing around which is kind of unfortunate it's just based on the amount of time and the wonderful chaos that's in my house at the end of the day Uh so i have my goal at the moment i've actually asked my friend who has the amazing guitar to give me some structure in his because he's a professional guitar teacher If I've got 30 minutes, what should I practice? I've got 60 minutes. So when that comes back, I'll have a better answer. But for now... I need that that answer. Because I I kind of feel a little bit lost. Like I've got no... I kind of feel like you. Like it's unfortunate that I just kind of noodle around and I don't really know what to play. And um, I'll tell you who you need to find. You need to go onto YouTube and search for Steve Stein. S-T-I-N-E. Steve Stein. Okay. You need to to find his... Because he just lays it out. In, in a way that you can go, ah, oh, that, that's what it's about. Like, why didn't someone tell me that? So based on his teachings, I've been practicing um, minor, ten, minor pentatonic scales. Oh, cool. Now, I do that. I, it's funny. I had a teacher who's a session player here in L.A. Yeah. And he, he basically, every time I've had a lesson, I've had about four lessons with him. His name's John Story. Great guy. Um, mm-hmm. super generous, super great guy, but he, but he loves scales. I, I don't know if he loves scales, but he, his belief is that every guitar player, that's the root of a, being a good guitar player. So he's oh. taught me this, these patterns for major scales, two octave major scales, non-open, all are, all are fingered. So two, yes. two octave uh, major and two octave minor, starting on the E string and then starting on the, what's the next string up? Is that the D string? I, a a string? Yeah, D, D, D. D string. Yeah, so, um, and you, th- those are like a lifetime of work for me. Um, oh, so much on it. It's just, uh, I don't, yeah, it's another thing. You can't, can you master it? Probably not, but you can get close to it. You can get close to it. So, I, to answer your question, what I'm attempting to do is be able to visualize and 
find a note at any point on the fretboard. At, oh, that's you know, cool. Like, like that. So that's great. So, so I'm playing pentatonic, minor pentatonic. You know, same shapes for major. It just shifts. So there are all these nice shapes to sit on it. But then I'll be, I'll say to myself, okay, where is an A on the top string? And I'll be like, it's there, it's there, it's there. What's the relationship to the other, you know, the next string down or the next string up or two strings? And trying to find those patterns. So if I'm playing a song, I can say, oh, that's really interesting. Like that's the, the triad is this, and that's why it fits with that. And I could then see how a solo would fit over the top of it. Yes. And what. Yep. I'm understanding music at a deeper level. I'm still finding that well, my fretting hand, which is my right hand, so I fret with my left hand, I'm better at that than I am at picking, so I can fret faster than I can actually pick. I, it's funny, when I first learned to play guitar, I thought the magic was all in the left hand. It was all in the fret, fret hand. What I'm finding yeah. now is, if I run a really sound good, it's all in the right hand. It's all in the strum and the pick and the learning how to pick the right you know, one one uh, finger or blah, 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 one string, pick one string to play along with the guitar, along with the chord, and uh, it's incredibly hard. Mm, it's really difficult. So, so that's my. I suppose that's from a technical perspective. That's my practice, and then I like to play songs. Right. So, right. Um, what did I start learning this weekend? Oh, Born to Be Wild by Steppenwolf. Oh yeah, cool. Wow. I don't know why I haven't. There's played nothing that like nothing like seventies rock. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant, and and you can see what's lovely about it because I, like I, I just appreciate music full stop as as you, could, you would know if you look at my vinyl collection. Most of it's sixties and seventies. Uh-huh. It's that you can see how like for instance, "Born to Be Wild" by Steppenwolf is one of the songs that sort of started the heavy metal movement, and you can see that it's got fifth chords and palm muting and all of this kind of stuff that really came into it later on. And like that's sixty eight, I think that song was released. But then you move into someone, you know, like you move into Zeppelin and Sabbath. Yep. And have a look at what they're playing. Um, so I try and to make it not as boring as it used to be when I was in early 20s, went and paid for a lot of lessons and it was just a chromatic scale. I was like, a do, re, mi, fa, so, like, yeah, far yeah, out. Yeah. And I know what the guy was trying to do, but it wasn't fun. And if it's not fun, you don't learn as well and you don't practice. So, right. so now I noodle, as you say. And strum around, do different things. But I pick up my acoustic guitar. And I've been really into um, Lindsey Buckingham and Fleetwood Mac lately. Oh, cool, cool, yeah. Just because he's he doesn't play with a pick; it's all finger picking. Yep. He um, has like a modified Travis pick that he uses. Yep. And if you want to try and get dexterous with your right hand, learn Rhiannon. Learn which? Rhiannon, the song Rhiannon. I don't. Know. I mean, I probably know it. I'm- from hearing it, but I don't know the name. I won't try and sing it because no. <laughs> You're not a singer? No, oh no. And I do get told often that I'm not a singer. At least there's something I'm, you know, guitar better than singing, so that's a plus. Uh, Rhiannon is on the first album, the first Fleetwood Mac album that had Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham on it. From okay. 76, 77, somewhere in there. You'll know it when you hear it. Anyway, it's got this, it's just lovely multi string picking. Okay. Uh, and the timing is, it's out there because he plays bass notes over the treble and uh, it's good fun. It took me ages to try and work it out. <clears throat> you, you know, sometimes you look at the tablature or you look at the music and you're like, but, but how do you physically do that? Right. Good fun. 
Yeah, it is good fun. Hey, I got I got another question for you. So, what's your um when you when you everybody's got a different home screen on their iPhone. What is your what's on your home screen? What are your most frequently used apps and what what how do you make best use of your I'm assuming you have an iPhone or a Android. I do have an iPhone. I'm not going to get the 7 though cuz they've ruined my music by pulling out the jack. I'm getting the, I'm getting the 7. I'm I'm the opposite and I can't wait for the I I can't wait to learn how that changes things. So uh that might be miserable, but we'll see. Look, I'll have to adopt it, but the problem is if I'm not playing vinyl, I use Spotify or Apple Music, which requires me to plug in a 3.5 jack so I can put, plug it into my amp so I can listen to it. Ah, ah. Right, so <clears throat> I suppose I could take my computer over there, but then that means I can't use my computer. Anyway, first world problems. What's on my – I could get my phone, but it's, it's walking distance away. I have my calendar. I have uh, Gmail, Skype because my assistant and I converse over Skype. Do you use um the uh, the inherent um not inherent but the the native app for the calendar or do you have a special app you use on the phone? Uh, I use Google. So, so you use go- my- a Google Calendar on your iPhone? Yeah, yeah. I had problems way back when, like really early days, trying to sync Apple's um, native mail app with uh, Gmail, and I was getting multiple messages, wasn't receiving messages, and when you run a business, you can't have that. So Yep, I, I had the same problem. I, I use yep. an app called Fantastical, um, and that synchronizes with Gmail, uh, with Google. I use Google Calendar exclusively. So yeah, same thing yep. for me. Google Calendar, I'm using that. Uh, I'm using the Google Inbox now. I've started using that just to see how that hangs about. Mm-hmm. Truth of the matter is, like, email is something that I hate. So I've actually, right. my, my assistant checks my email and like, gets rid of all the spam, creates a folder of all my subscriptions so I can read them later and sends me anything that's important. So you know, it just clears my mind. I don't have to so, uh, you, so actually you have someone else that gets, that has access to your Gmail account and yes. reads all your email for you, screens it for you and sends you what you, what, what, what he, is it he, your assistant? She. She. Yeah, she. What she thinks is, um. Uh, you, you'd want to see? Yes, absolutely. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I just had to do it. I was getting to the point where I was getting anxious about my email account because it was just, it was always getting stuff that I'd, that would interrupt my flow. So yeah, that was really cool. I've actually gone and got my phone because when you ask that question, like, what's on my front page? I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Google Chrome, Instagram. A couple of apps for work, like Trello and Voxer communication apps, yep. and then music apps. I've got a really good podcast app called Overcast. I love Overcast. Yeah, I love yeah. Overcast. So it's not very exciting, I've got to tell you. I'm looking at it and wondering. I normally look at it every couple of months and think, hmm, are there, is there stuff there that I don't use? Do what I do you, well, what, let me ask you a question. What, what, what do you use your phone for besides your just basic work functions and a telephone? Or an email device. Like, do you have any special apps in there? Do you have a guitar tuner? Do you like? Uh, I do have a guitar tuner. Uh, I've actually got the guitar tuner. It's called Guitar Tuner. <laughs> oh yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, just hilarious. Uh, it's by oh, what's that? Uh, I cannot remember the name of the company. It's a really good. It's a really. It, it tunes a guitar. It works really well. Yeah. What else do you use it for? You know, if I waste time lately, like I've been wasting time on Reddit, just in the in the like funny subreddit and just seeing uh-huh. like silly videos, just to like if I'm going to get online, like I want to have a giggle, you know, just like right. like a little, little schoolboy and look at something 
that just makes you know tickles my phone bone. Um, so I, I use it. I, I do a lot of photography around the local area. So photographs. Um, you know, Reddit's the only thing I do in terms of sort of looking at social media. Every now and then I'll have to look at the news, and if it's really morbid, I turn it off. Um, and then music and podcasts. Like as I say, if I'm not playing vinyl or if I'm mobile, I'm always playing music, listening to a podcast. So other than that, it's pretty boring. It's just a, it's just like a small work computer where I've got my calendar, I've got my email, I've got my social media, and I've got my communications apps, and that's it. Do you listen to exciting. Do you listen to music when you work? When you like, like say you're being creative and you're writing or something? Do you are you a listen to music person or silence? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm. I'm a, most of the time I'm listening to music. If I have to write something, like if I'm writing an article before I get it to Becca because she's fastidious about good writing, which uh-huh. is awesome because it's elevated my level of writing, then I probably won't listen to music because I really want to concentrate on the prose. Right. However, if I'm doing something like graphic design for my website or for ads or I'm doing Facebook advertisements or anything like that, then I generally listen to music. And what I've found is I will generally listen to vinyl because what it makes me do is get up and move at the end of every side. So sort of every 20 to 25 minutes, I get up and have a five-minute break. Right. That's interesting. That's a cool way to do it. Yeah, I thought it was a nice organic way of doing it without having to put an alarm on right. that would be like, time for you to move on to the next task. So I've tried to use like, the Pomodoro timer. Yep, yep. And even using like Tabata-style timers for you know extended periods, not like Tabata, actual Tabata intervals, but that kind of interval type yeah. arrangement. And I just find that I'll go, ah, yeah, buzz, whatever, I'll get the next one. But uh, with the vinyl, it just does that. Yeah, right, right, right. Exactly. We, I don't have, I, I don't have a record player anymore. But um, my wife loves old school vinyl, and um, we, we just don't have a spot really for a record player. But we, we'd like to get one. But I just stole it. That's my nook over there. Vinyl goes there. I can't listen to music I know when I'm working. So if I have to, I have to put on stuff that's either like in Spanish or instrumental and it can't be instrumental that I know I used to play classical trumpet. So I, there's a lot of classical music that I know. And if I start, if it starts going in my head, I, um, and I know the lyrics, forget about it. My, it, it shuts, shuts off my, I get too distracted. I get too into it. I can put, there's some stuff I can't listen to for sure. Um, like stuff that has an emotional connection. Yeah. Yeah. You end up like jumping into the music. Um, like for instance, uh, back to black by Amy Winehouse. I just watched the documentary of her life, which is one of the saddest stories I've ever seen. So, and and it shows her recording the tracks and what she was actually thinking and going through at the time. So you've got this association. Right. Right. If I listen to that, I have to listen to it. Right. Um, but there's other stuff I've got here that I can put on in the background. It's just like for, for working, um, Bonobo, Boards of Canada, really electronic kind of stuff. It's really cool because it's got structure behind it. And jazz, like I, I prefer instrumental jazz, so I listen to a lot of jazz. I've got heaps of Coltrane. Mm-hmm. Cool. Dexter Gordon. Uh, so that kind of stuff, it's not like you don't sing along, it's just there. That's kind of cool stuff. What, if you, if you, another random question about, about your life what's, uh, what's in your gym bag? Nothing at the moment. I haven't been going to the gym lately. I've been, I've been uh, going to the beach. 
So I'm waiting for it to get a, a little warmer uh, to get in for a swim, but I've just been doing a walk, run on the beach, um, and here at home, I've been doing a lot of stretching and yoga. Hmm. Um, and the reason I've been going to the gym is the last time I haven't been going to jiu-jitsu either, the last jiu-jitsu session I did, I separated my right shoulder oh quite, my. quite tremendously. It was spectacular. I just I, I heard it, and I think when you can hear a joint, something bad's happened. <laughs> what does that sound like? It sounded like almost like paper tearing, Oy. like like a like butcher's paper tearing. It was. Oh, I was like, oh, oh and I just God. And I, I lied down. And I was like, oh, I think I've done myself a terrible mischief because I've had my left shoulder operated on due to jujitsu, and then I've gone and ruined my right shoulder. So. You know, my exercise at home is at home now. Like I've got a bar out the front, so I just do hanging, so I can open up the, the shoulder joint. Uh-huh. Do a lot of, a lot of yoga and stretching. I tried to get into doing some push-ups and all that kind of stuff. Like energetically, but my shoulder doesn't like it, so I've just got to chill out, take a step back, and don't be impatient, Adam. Like, I really want to go to the local jujitsu gym up here and get back on the mat again, but. Right. I, I'll reach. I'll reach out to grab one of my kids when we're playing, and my shoulder will go pinch. Like, well, if it's pinching now, and I'm, you know, like kind of wrestling with a 25 kilo child, then I struggle with a 100 kilo man trying. Yeah, that's to- bad news. That's bad news. <laughs> what um what kind of yoga do you practice? And do you have a set routine? Do you try to do it for, you know, a set set amount of time? Again, it's one of the. It's very fluid because it depends on what happens in the morning. But I try and have about twenty minutes, and I just go through variations on the sun salutes. Mm-hmm. So basic sort of hatha yoga, I guess. And there are variations on the, the salutes. Um, I've got you know, my pelvis isn't behaving itself very well at the moment. I sound like I'm a wreck, but I'm, I mean I'm not that terrible. So, but I just try and focus on those joints that are a bit stiff. So if I wake up and my left hip's feeling a bit weird, then I'll spend more time stretching around that area. Um, it's not as structured as it could be. Um, I, I'm yet to find a teacher up here that I've been able to connect with, and once I find that person, I'll, you know, I'll have my own yoga instructor, and I'll that will give me some more structure. And, yeah, and speaking, my- speaking of structure, um, how do you get up? Do you have a morning routine you'd like to follow? It involves getting up and putting the kettle on and uh, manually brewing my own coffee. So that's the start of every day. That's pretty open-ended. Since we've moved up here, things kind of got jumbled around a lot, to be quite honest. Right. Uh, We've only been in this house for four months, so I'm still kind of finding my place in this house. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, But I get up. When I get up, put the kettle on. Uh, you know, it might be too much information. It's actually on on the gas, so it's an old gas kettle. So yep. you've got to wait for that to happen. I grind my own beans, um, and I you know, measure everything out and plant it and do a, a basically do a pour over. So it's a, a brewed coffee. Yep. But it takes takes time. It takes me about ten minutes to get from start to finish before I can sit down and have my coffee. And then my goal is to sit there with my coffee. Do you not, do you use a Chemex or do you have a, a specific uh, like pour some sort of porcelain pour over and do you make it just a cup or do you make more than a cup or how do you do that? Yeah, it's a it's a basically a V60 that I've got. So Hario V60 pour over. It's not a Chemex. That's the next on the the list. Uh-huh. Um, and I make a little bit over a cup probably. So I've got a mug that doesn't get full, but if I was to put it in your, your standard kind of 
cafe-sized small mug, a uh, small cup, it would go over the top of that for right, sure. Right, right. I find that being engaged with that and, and just focusing on that activity rather than trying to get the kids ready, uh, making myself breakfast, checking my messages on my phone and doing all that, if I can have that moment of get out of bed and you know, walk downstairs, put the kettle on, and then go through the process and then sit down with my cup of coffee. And I, I guess that makes me feel comfortable at the moment. And, and the experience is kind of, I mean, number one, I like coffee. Caffeine's really good. But uh-huh. just sitting there and being with, with the coffee is really nice. And you go, oh, yeah, that's, I can taste that that night. It's nice and warm. Get the tingle from the caffeine. I'm probably ready to go. Do you have anything else you, do, you like to do in the morning um, in addition to the coffee ritual? Uh, it's, it's normally dictated by how crazy the house gets. Right, right. If I can, it's go out for a run or go and do some yoga up the back. But sometimes, and I'll, most of the time, it, it becomes just trying to get the kids ready to get to school. Yep, yep. Uh, Sounds very I'll familiar. Yeah, <laughs> and the thing is, I think, you know, I do myself a disservice during the day because I, I do have some goals within my business that, that I want to achieve. And if I allow myself too much time to you know, sit and meditate, sit and think, be creative, exercise, I don't get all those things done. And then like everyone else, get a little bit guilty and you go, oh, I should do more. So, you know, today I will probably work all the way through until the kids get home, spend some crazy time with them, and I might not get to do like a realistic amount of exercise today. I'll do my best to get out and hang for five minutes, so I open up my shoulders, I'll do some stretching, and go for a walk, you know, probably we'll end up taking the kids down to the beach after school and we just have a run around path now, keeping the soccer ball around. And, cool, cool. And that's lovely. That's just such good fun. It's and so it's, much fun. Soccer is, I, I play soccer with my son. He's, he's on an all-star team and I'm the assistant coach and it's just so much fun. And the beach adds to it. Like you, you think you're doing a really good job and you end up kicking it right into a little bump and it heads off in a different direction. We've got one of these beach style soccer balls that it doesn't doesn't behave like a soccer ball that's lighter so <laughs> you oh, really? much, if you hit it with too much spin you hit it with the outside of your foot all of a sudden it takes a right angle <laughs> yep. chasing it but it's, i mean that's the whole idea it's, it's meant to go in the water if it gets waterlogged you get to jump in the water i mean it's that's cool we, we, we've just moved out of winter and the weather that we've got now is like melbourne summer Late, late spring, early summer, and we've got it already. So it's first, what, second week of spring here now. So it's warm. It doesn't matter if you go in the water. It's actually warmer in the water sometimes. Are you a surfer? Are you? Uh, do you spend any time surfing? I'm a budding surfer. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I will be in the next week or two out to buy a board. Probably just get myself a nice what, nine and a half foot performance log. Yep. We've got some nice little point breaks up here that aren't very big and powerful. The, the beach break can get bananas. Uh, we had a storm out here recently. It was barreling double overhead. Wow. Uh, wow. Probably not getting on that with a performance log, but. No. There are days out here where you know, it can be three or four foot and, and gentle. It's not, it's not a really powerful wave, which is kind of nice because I, I haven't surfed since I was a teenager. And I wasn't great then either. I have an understanding of what's going on. I body surf now, so right. I understand how waves work. I understand where to put yourself. Um, 
But yeah, getting back and getting that balance is going to be quite interesting. There's there's some nice gentle breaks around. Like my concerns always, I don't want to ruin someone else's experience surfing by right. being the turkey. Right. Yeah, I'm not going to drop in on someone, but if someone lets me get a wave and I don't get it, it's like, ah, oh, sorry, dude. Yeah, I, there's a, there's a level of guilt that that uh, that occurs for me when I when they've obviously allowed me because I'm in the better position to to drop in and then I don't catch it. It's uh, yeah. the, and that that for me because I'm kind of a surf hack. I used to be much, I used to surf a lot more and I used to kayak surf a lot. And uh, uh-huh. now when I get in the water, I'm, um, you know, I just don't do it enough to to be consistent in catching the waves. In fact, we just spent a weekend in Newport Beach. It's very funny. Um, so I went out each day. We, we rented a house and there were two surfboards in the back of the house. Neither of them had, had a leash. One was about a, uh, I'd say it was about an eight footer and the other one was like nine and a half feet. And the first day I took nine and a half footer out and I was actually doing okay. It was very weird not having a leash because I had to go in and chase the board into the shore every time. And I was kind of freaked out about hurting somebody with the board, you know, because I'm falling and there goes the board and I can't control it. Oh. Um, but the second day I went out, I decided, oh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I should take the shorter board. So I took the shorter board out. <laughs> and and we're, we've been there for about an hour and I yell into my son. I said, hey, dude, it's time to go. And he goes, but daddy, I haven't seen you ride a wave yet. <laughs> oh, and that's man. what's going on. And he was exactly right. I hadn't ridden a wave yet. <laughs> I caught a few. I body, I, I purled a couple times, but uh, had not ridden a wave. Well, I can remember that as when I was a teenager. Like, I just bought a like a six two thruster. I'm five nine, so you know, I bought this little spear of a board with no understanding of volume and weight and any of that kind of stuff, and wondered why that I would just paddle all day and not be able to catch a wave. Yep. And you know, I've come up here and talked to some of the locals. There's like every second shop's a surf shop up here, which is brilliant. Uh, and then like, you just get a, you get one of the longer boards with more volume, nice yeah, and wide. Yeah. And they're like, you put them in front of a wave, put your little pinky in the water and flick it and you're off. Right. Right. And, and it's just, and just, it's just fun. It's just fun. Right. Like I, I don't need to be Mr. Hardcore uh, at this no. point, but it was, but you know, it was just a very classic um, the next day I took the bigger board out and I did better. The bigger board though weighed about 50 pounds. So it was not light. It was, wow. um, yeah, you know, but that's why, that's why it's easy to, to move. Cause once it gets momentum, it's like the problem's stopping it. Not yes, it. exactly. Exactly. And there's a, there's a great little group. I Noosa board riders club or association or something like that. And they have, they have like grommet, um, competitions and like they're under 11s and there's, there's little dudes out on like four foot spears that are so thin and they're just smashing the shore break. You're like, that's so cool. <laughs> the, the surfboards look like oversized skateboards. Right, right. And, and they're just doing the most amazing things. And you're like, that is, like, that's awesome. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm just going <laughs> to chill. Right. <laughs> that's right. Well, because they're, they're also out every single day, you know. Yeah, yeah, Come hell or high water with their wetsuit, cold water, warm water, whatever. They're out every day. Yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah. and ideally, like I have, a, I have a friend who lives oh, four and a half, five hours south. This beautiful part of the world. It's called Emerald Beach, which is like just the most beautiful name. And he gets up every morning and goes for a surf. Like he opens his garage and oh, he's just great. got like, several different boards. But he, that's, that's his process. Like, the alarm goes off at five o'clock. He grabs a board, puts it in the car, off surfs for an hour, comes home, and he's back home before everyone else is up. So he does all of his 
fatherly stuff, goes to work, comes right. home, I suppose he wants to have a surf in the afternoon, he can. That's fantastic. So, that's, that would be a dream. That would be a dream life for me. I would love that. Yeah. That, that's my goal is to get there because I can literally walk to the beach in 10 minutes. And oh, if I go in a car, it's three minutes. Right, right. So I've got no excuse. My, my only excuse the is I don't actually have a board. Right. So but I will be that's easily remediable. Yes. Yeah, that word. That word, that word. Well, Adam, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out today and um, me- meander. We kind of meandered, and it was very um it was fun to meander i i haven't i haven't meandered like this on a conversation with someone in a long time and it and it's um you know like i said when i started this podcast i always come in with an agenda and uh and i and a subject and and something i know i want to talk about and um it was really fun to not have that and to uh, have someone on the podcast that was willing to to you know play along yeah, I enjoy it. It's it's nice not having that structure sometimes, isn't it? Just being free. Yeah, yeah. It was just to kind of see where where what where it led, and you know, obviously questions did pop into my head. So, cool. um, um, been doing this too long to not have that happen. What's happened? You put your interviewer's hat on, and it, that kind of stuff pops up. That's e- cool. Exactly. Well, um, uh, thanks again for for being here. And uh, now, if if anyone wants to find you, if they're inspired by something you mentioned, or they want to check out your website or want business coaching. How, what's the best way to, what's the best way? Obviously Instagram is one way. We talked about that. Um, yeah, Insta- what's Instagram your handle just, on Instagram? It's just, it's just Adam Stanecki. Pretty easy. How do you spell Stanecki? S-T-A-N-E-C-K-I. S-T-A-N-E-C-K-I. Gotcha. Okay. And then that, that, uh, what's your, what's your website? So adamstanecki.com.au will get to me and, stuff that I'm working through myself and my blogs and sort of my own journey that that's that's how's there um so anyone is interested in sort of the journey I'm going through and if you're interested in sort of self-awareness and and, and that that's where to look at I'm developing some programs there that will be available soon I've got one running at the moment called your next 90 which is just 90 days daily emails to show people how they can dramatically change themselves in 90 days Very so that's running I'll probably open that up again maybe later this year uh, and if they're interested in business coaching or you own a gym, your fitness professional wants some help, it's fillyourgym.com.au. And I work with people all around the world, not uh, restricted to Australia. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, thanks again, and I look forward to catching up with you. Um, hopefully, I'm down there. Uh, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, well. and, uh, or, and or maybe you're up here. So um, we'll see. Or both. But yeah, anytime you're here, man, look me up. We'll uh, go and catch some moves. Sounds good. Thanks, Andy. All right. We'll catch you later. Yeah. The Whole Life Challenge podcast is produced by our podcast team, Ernie Hurtado, Becca Borowski, and Cameron Banfield. You can find all our episodes as well as the links to anything we talked about during the episode, plus complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash blog. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And if you like it, please remember to give us a favorable rating in iTunes and recommend it to your friends. I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening.